Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Monday, October 25th. Today on the show, we begin with what Vols fans should take away from the game against Alabama. A boring week in the SEC ended pretty roughly for Vanderbilt. Nashville SC gets beat on the road in a critical match. You'll get my real feelings about the Atlanta Braves. The Preds split two games in the Central Division. But we begin with the Tennessee Titans' absolute domination of the Kansas City Chiefs. Doing major work on your house is very expensive and it needs to be very thoughtful. This is why you need the Kingston Group, Nashville's award-winning, locally-owned custom home and remodeling firm. My family uses the Kingston Group, and you should too. That's it. That's all you need to know. BuildKG.com is the website. Talk to them. If you are planning on doing anything with your home, check out the website, BuildKG.com, the Kingston Group. The Titans began their showdown against the Chiefs with the best half of football they've played all season, and packaged with the dramatic Monday win over Buffalo, it has completely changed the entire dynamic of the season. Ryan Tannehill was virtually perfect, getting points on all five first-half possessions, while the defense forced two turnovers and held Kansas City scoreless. It was 27-0 at halftime. Derrick Henry didn't need to do a whole lot, but added a touchdown pass to his resume to go with 29 carries and just 86 yards, which is only three yards per carry. But the focus on Henry allowed A.J. Brown to have the best game of his season. The star wideout caught eight passes for 133 yards and a big first-half touchdown that helped spark the best half of football I've seen from the Titans in a long time. And while Tannehill made one tiny mistake in the third quarter and the offense was held scoreless in the second half, the Titans held on for an easy and very impressive 27-3 win over the Chiefs. And the real story wasn't an incredibly efficient Tannehill or even the star power of Henry or Brown. It was the defense. It was the best defensive showing this franchise has seen in literally years, probably going back to the road playoff win over the 14-2 Baltimore Ravens, which is something I never expected to see in this matchup against a former league MVP. But just like the win over Buffalo, it had nothing to do with the secondary, linebackers, or even play calling. It was entirely the healthy and now very terrifying Titans defensive line. John Robinson has been looking to find a pass rush and build this defensive front for literally years. And after the last two weeks, it's hard to argue that this group might not be the most important group on the entire football team. Jeffrey Simmons, Bud Dupree, Harold Landry, T.R. Tart, and Danico Autry terrorized Mahomes to the tune of four sacks, two turnovers, countless pressures, scrambles, and mistakes. They actually knocked him out of the game early in the fourth quarter. It was only the second time the Chiefs were held to single digits in the Patrick Mahomes era. The only other time was the Bucks in the Super Bowl last year. It was the lowest scoring output of Mahomes' career. It was just two weeks ago this team was 3-2, and two, staring down the barrel of the toughest stretch of football it was going to play all season, and with almost 20 players on injured reserve, in particular in the back end of this defense, Things were looking bleak after a terrible tackling performance against Jacksonville. But Dupree has gotten healthy. Landry has continued his torrid contract season. Simmons is still Simmons. And Autry has begun to exert his will, making disruptive play after disruptive play. As this group comes together, it's getting stronger. And nothing on this team, not Tannehill, the offensive line, two stars at wide receiver, or even Derrick Henry, could do more to send this team on a deep playoff run than an elite defensive line. The only thing that beats elite quarterback play in this league is elite defensive line play. There is no response to a dominant D-line. And you could argue the Titans have beaten the best two quarterbacks in the AFC the last two weeks with, wait for it, their D-line. Tennessee had just 19 sacks last year, dead last in the NFL. 
And after four more on Sunday, they now have 18 this season through just seven games, five of which are now W's. The Vols once again played extremely well against a superior opponent. The offense once again started hot, giving this team a chance at a major upset. The defense once again played above their talent level and with great passion. And the Vols once again failed to capitalize on an opportunity to win a fairly close game in the second half. But considering where this program was when Josh Heupel took over, I think fans once again need to be proud of that effort. Yes, disappointed in the final quarter and how the game finished, but once again need to make sure that they see the forest through the trees and not miss the big picture. This program is clearly getting healthier, and I know that moral victories are super lame, but that is really all you can expect against a team like Alabama or Georgia or, frankly, Ole Miss or Florida. This program has to learn how to win games in the fourth quarter. They have to learn how to finish. Sure, Bama pulled away in the final frame and dropped a 50-burger and even covered the three-plus touchdown spread. Okay, but what does that actually mean? To anyone other than gamblers, it doesn't matter. Nothing, really. What matters is this program, big picture, is progressing. That the legal battle and firing of Jeremy Pruitt and the embarrassment of the last three years was the bottom. With Dondi Plowman, Danny White, and Josh Heupel aligned in their vision for the program, and if you'll let me use all of the metaphors here, Tennessee football can return to relevancy. That at least it can begin to recover from the cancer that had been eating it alive from the inside. That Tennessee football is in recovery. Sure, there will be some relapses like the end of the Ole Miss game, where we fall off the wagon, but that those moments are just that, a minor relapse. The house has been ripped down to the studs and is being rebuilt with better materials that have been installed by professionals. And as I said a million times, does that mean Heupel is capable of winning SEC East titles or competing for playoff spots? I don't know, and I have my doubts. But what has become encouragingly clear is that the Tennessee Volunteers football program is no longer headed backwards. The demolition is complete, and the renovation is very much underway. And that is something Big Orange Nation can be proud of and excited for, even when you allow four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Around the SEC in a pretty boring weekend in the South, Matt Corral put together another gutty performance against LSU in an easy win as Ole Miss continues one of their best seasons in school history. The Rebels quarterback didn't put up gaudy numbers but played brilliant football with a depleted roster against a division rival, and for that, he should continue to get more Heisman buzz. Meanwhile, Texas A&M has won three straight after crushing South Carolina on Saturday. The Rebels and Aggies are poised to be top 10 teams when they face each other in two weeks, and both teams could be headed towards 10-win seasons. Arkansas rolled an FCS opponent for their fifth win of the year, and unfortunately, Vanderbilt was completely uncompetitive in what might have been their final chance at a win in the SEC. The Bulldogs went up 10-0 in the first and scored at least twice in three different quarters, winning 45-6. The doors were outgained 522 to 155. Mississippi State and South Carolina are probably two of the worst teams in the SEC, not named Vanderbilt, and they coughed up a chance at a win over the Gamecocks last weekend and were obliterated on Saturday by Mike Leach. At home against Missouri next weekend is a winnable game, but after that, it's Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Tennessee, which means this program has one more chance at a win and to avoid a 10-loss season on West End. The Atlanta Braves are going back to the World Series for the first time since 1999 after beating the Los Angeles Dodgers four games to two over the weekend in the NLCS. I have a lot of friends in Nashville media who are Atlanta Braves fans. I have a lot of in-laws who are Braves fans. Hell, my wife even grew up a Braves fan. And I suppose that I am happy for and excited for those of you who root for the Braves. 
in our city. As a kid, I actually lived in Atlanta in the early 90s and went to a lot of games. I loved Terry Pendleton and Otis Nixon and Sid Bream and Mark Lemke and Jeff Blauser. I can rattle off those early Braves teams that turned the baseball world on its head by coming out of nowhere pretty easily, even 25 years later. My dad took me to games back then in Atlanta, and even I, a long-suffering, diehard New York Mets fan, fell in love with postseason baseball. So, have I cleared my throat enough and given you enough context? Because while I may be happy for some people, I am most definitely not rooting for the Braves. In fact, I will be actively rooting against the Atlanta Braves and likely acting like a total troll on the Twitter machine for the next few weeks. Because as a Mets fan, I cannot stand the Chipper Jones, Javi Lopez, Andrew Jones generation of the Braves and everything since then. You don't get to name your son after my stadium and expect me to be happy about it, Larry. And you're a Gators fan too? What is that nonsense? How can Tennesseans root for that? Sure, he's a great switch hitter and a good dude, but go to hell, Larry Wayne. You just go right to hell. Okay, I blacked out. Where was I? Oh yeah, I'm happy for Freddie Freeman. I like him. Those in my family, I'm happy for you guys. And a lot of my friends, I'm happy for all of you who have suffered through so many Atlanta meltdowns. I would be happy for you if they can finish the job. But even my wife knows that she is not allowed to root for the Braves in front of my children. I will not allow it. And I most definitely will not be rooting for it. The Nashville Predators played two games in the Central Division over the weekend on the road at Winnipeg on Saturday and at Minnesota on Sunday. After giving up a six spot to Winnipeg in a loss where they really weren't all that close over the course of the final half of the game, Nashville got a critical win over Minnesota, a first place type team, on Sunday to salvage the road trip and give the Predators just their second win on the season. A two and four start isn't good but it's way better than 1-5 and five and what it could have been on the road against a solid Minnesota team. UC Soros has been great. All the stars have been excellent, but this team simply isn't good enough to beat great teams without star performances. The depth needs to continue to develop. The young players need to continue to develop. The win over Minnesota was nice. It's still super early to make any major judgments about this team, but they were one loss away from starting the season 1-5. and five. And there's no quicker way to turn off a fan base when everyone knows you're in the middle of a rebuild than starting the season 1-5. That was a huge win for Nashville on Sunday against Minnesota. There are two ways to look at Nashville SC's performance on Saturday night in the 1-0 loss to the Philadelphia Union on the road. One, SC went on the road against a very good team, didn't have MVP candidate Hani Mukhtar, Captain Dax McCarty, or reigning MLS Defender of the Year Walker Zimmerman, and lost just their fourth game of the season, but did so in valiant effort, conceding only on an unfortunate handball in the box, resulting in a penalty that was the difference on the scoreboard at the end of the game. Or, two... The Union was a vastly superior side in almost every way. Nashville had 70 minutes to mount some sort of comeback and were offensively impotent, and the loss, regardless of what the roster looked like, was extremely costly considering the Union now could steal second place away from the boys in gold. Like most things in life, it's probably a little bit of both, but with just three matches left, including one with fourth place Orlando City on the road looming, every single point is massively important. And injuries or fitness or scheduling or yellow cards are just a part of the game that you have to navigate. Gary Smith put an interesting offensive lineup together, and it wasn't good enough against the Union. Are Ake Loba and Daniel Rios, who both started on Saturday night, going to be in the starting lineup in the playoff matches? No, they won't. But it doesn't mean that this team won't need contributions from unlikely sources to make a deep run in the MLS Cup playoffs against high-quality competition. And this weekend showed that they still have a lot of work to do in that department. 
Otherwise, there's still a ton of optimism. Matches with Cincinnati on Wednesday and the Red Bulls in the season finale next weekend are two very good chances at three points and wins. Second place is still very much within reach, but this team is going to have to grind every single minute of their final three matches to get there. Either way, it is going to be a very dramatic and exciting final two weeks of the MLS season. As you know, the 440 brought to you, of course, by the Kingston Group, our great friends who are award-winning, locally owned, and have been doing business in Nashville for over a decade because they're great at what they do. That's it. They're, they're like a Titans defensive line performance against the league MVP. Check out the website, buildkg.com. The Kingston Group, trust your home with nobody else. The Kingston Group are the people you need to talk to. Thank you guys all for listening. My name is Braden Gall. Please share the show. That is a huge deal for us. We really appreciate it if you just tell one person about the product. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Thank you all for listening. This has been the 444 Monday, October 25th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. <laughs>